the Gen Z and the millennial um, workforce comprises over 60% of the domestic workforce. If you tell a millennial or a Gen Zer that they did something wrong at their annual review in, on, on November 17th, they did something wrong in March, you'll be lucky if that, if that employee comes back to work for you. They'll, they'll look at you cross-eyed and think, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving me that information back in March? Because maybe I didn't do it wrong in March. Maybe I did it differently than you would have done it. And I can explain to you in March why I did it that way. When you're asking me in November why I did it, I, I can't remember. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders tend to shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. As always, I am your host, Jeff Ma, and I want to have those conversations with real people and hear those real stories about the real world and real businesses. And my guest today is Noah Pusey. Noah is the president and CEO of Ripple Analytics. It's a cloud-based talent assessment platform that replaces the annual review with timely, objective, and actionable peer-to-peer data. And we want to dive into that for sure today. Um, a little bit more about Noah. Uh, he received his bachelor's in arts from ba- Boston College and his Juris Doctor from Brooklyn Law School. He lives outside Boston, is the loving dad to two children, Jackson and Avery, and enjoys golf, skiing, hiking, and building companies, all similar things. <laughs> Noah was born and raised on a small farm in southern Vermont where his parents and sister still live. And as I've recently known, he's also hosting Thanksgiving. This is being recorded before th- just before Thanksgiving. Um, for 30, was it 36 people? Yeah, not including us, so 38, I think, yeah. And so that's on his mind, in case you're wondering why he's so stressed out this entire interview. Yeah. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> kidding, of course. Noah, welcome welcome to the show, how are you? I'm great, thanks for having me, Jeff. Really a pleasure to to be on your podcast and uh, share some stories, insights, and, and, uh, and banter about what we both uh, <laughs> love to do. Absolutely. And, and I, I guess where I like to start generally uh, on a very personal level is, is just centered around you. What is your passion? It's, I mean, it's a great question that could go on um, forever, but my, my passion is really helping people. You know, I mean, uh, I was on, uh, I was interviewed, um, it seems like six months ago, but during COVID, it's sort of been like, it could have been a year and a half ago, could have been two months ago, but I was previously interviewed and they asked me, what is the, um, what is your definition of success and, and leadership? And I think it's easy to, to my definition of success and leadership is, have I helped people become better people? Uh, and I think that's, I mean, I know you buy into this because it's your, your book, it's your whole mentality, but you know, at the end of the day, people, you know, your employees are people. And if I'm leading someone and I can help them become stronger individually, then the, the likelihood is more than uh, likely that they're going to be better employees, better coworkers and all that kind of stuff. So um, what drives my passion is Ripple. I mean, what we, what we decided to do, Derek Hedges and I co-founded the company back in 2014. And what we wanted to do is really have an impact on the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month um, experiences that employees have in in the workplace and make it a stronger, better, more positive um, experience. So then they carry that with them throughout their, uh, their lives, really. Um, you know, and, and if I can make people feel better or more um, 
informed about how they interact with their co-human beings, then, then I've succeeded. No, have, have you always um, had this passion or this vision, or is it something that you gained at some point along the way? Uh, I, I think it, to a, to a, to varying degrees. I mean, I was, I was, a, I'm a, I'm a, I love to uh, describe myself as a recovering lawyer. I still practice on the side, but um, you know, law as jaded as it can be is really is the um, the pinnacle of trying to help people in in concept. Maybe not an application, but mm. you've been wrong. You're trying to make that right um, in transactional law. If you're if you want to buy and, and my client wants to sell then those are, we should be able to do that and help both the person that wants to buy or the company wants to buy and the company or person that wants to sell. It's become like a lot of organizations, a lot of industries, um, not so simple. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think I've tried uh, in my life pursuit to help people. Um, not always successful, but that's, that, that's the goal. All right. So tell me a little bit about Ripple Analytics. Um, I know I gave a high level cloud-based talent assessment platform, but what, what, give me the, the elevator pitch on, on what, what makes it unique. Everyone hates the annual review. And uh, for younger generations, the annual review, 60% uh, of companies still do it. Uh, I grew up on the annual review. Every year you would sit with your boss, your manager, your leader, and you would talk about the last 12 months and what you did right, what you did wrong, and everything in between. And uh, when Derek and I co-founded the company, we knew that that was a flawed process because if you're only gaining information or having meaningful discussions once a year, you, know, you should celebrate your birthday once a year. You should pay your taxes once a year. You shouldn't be having meaningful discussions in anything, in personal life or professional life once a year. So we, we saw two problems with the annual review, and it's in the wording. Annual, meaning it's once a, once a year, and then review. It's in, it's in the rearview mirror. It's, how, it's already happened. So what we wanted to do with Ripple is, is really change that, change the approach to looking at the importance of ongoing timely communication in, in developing better employees and managing better employees and, and really assessing how they can be better employees and then putting them in positions to succeed. So when we founded Ripple, we worked with an IO psychologist to, to create these surveys that gather data along core personality traits. And then we put people, people who have stronger personality traits on one hand, um, put them in positions where they can utilize those strengths versus the annual review, which was, which was uh, almost always really a reflection of the, of the, um, of the profitability or of the uh, financial success of the company. In law, it, it was, if, you, if the law firm was making money, then everyone was great. If the law firm went through some, some bumpy times and everyone had to work harder. Most of the people involved in the company don't have an impact on the day-to-day -day profitability of a company. That's usually on a bigger, larger leadership model. And so when I had to sit and speak with some of the attorneys that worked uh, under me and tell them, basically, if, the, if we were up financially, then they were great. If, they, if we were down financially, they had to work harder. It's just a, it's a check the box compliance exercise. It's not a meaningful process that can really um, move the culture, strengthen the culture of any company. Is that the bridge that took you from law to uh, something like Ripple? So, so to get a little more personal, Derek um, was, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and actually eventually lost his battle um, in April of 2015. And when he knew he had terminal uh, cancer, he, he and I started spitballing in early 2014 about just how we could 
make the workplace a better place to work. And he was um, SVP of strategy at a Fortune 500 company. And he, he wanted to leave sort of a legacy in terms of in, his impact on businesses in general, not just one specific um, space. And he saw me and uh, as, a, as, a, as a tool to one industry, the, law, the legal industry, which I don't think there's a, an industry that could benefit more than what we're doing at Ripple um, in terms of just taking away the almighty billable hour and seeing that there, there's something other than a billing machine uh, with your people. Um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, originally I was going to, he, he was in healthcare, so he was going to hit healthcare. I was going to hit legal and we were going to kind of branch out from there. Um, but yeah, it, and it, it was also, I, I think personally, um, I, I had recently gone through a divorce and I think I was pivoting like a lot of people do when they have life-changing moments where are you thoroughly happy with what you're doing? I was a good attorney. I had job security. I was making money. I just didn't necessarily feel fulfilled. And so when Derek and I started talking and kind of mapping out what we wanted to do, and, and by the way, we started researching what people disliked about their um, employment uh, experience. And on the top of everyone's list was the annual review because it's yeah. this anxiety ridden, not really beneficial to anybody. And, and I did them and received them. And, and it, it wasn't any fun giving and it wasn't really any fun receiving because mm -hmm. when you're receiving it, it's, it's all you do is you're listening to your manager boss waiting for the numbers because almost always the annual review is tied to compensation. So you're not having a meaningful discussion about client development, how you can, you know, work better with others, how you really need to, you know, strengthen certain components of what you're doing. Because as a younger professional, you're just waiting for the bonus. You're waiting for the raise. <laughs> you're waiting to see where you're going for vacation in February. Because again, almost all in your reviews, at least back when we um, founded Ripple, we're done at the end of the year, which is the worst time to do it. I mean, you, you've got holiday parties, you've got end of the year budget issues, you've got all of these things that are circling around your head. And then I call Jeff and say, meet me in the conference room. It's time for the annual review. And it's like, okay, well, let's just get, get it over with. So anytime you're doing a, an, an exercise that um, both parties want to get it over with, it's probably not a very productive exercise. And, and I always, I've always told people that, you know, if, if my fly is down, tell me now, it, it serves me no good to tell me tomorrow that my fly was down today. And, and that's how I always viewed the annual review, which is you're, you're going back way back in time, things that I no longer have any way to change, grow or learn for. So even if you are paying attention to what we're talking about, it's like, that would have been nice to know then. And oftentimes we're hearing it for the first time now. Two things on that. First, the human brain only remembers things accurately for six to eight weeks. So that one uh, fact has to negate the importance of an annual review. Because unless your manager, boss, leader is taking copious notes throughout the year, they're basing that annual review on the last six, maybe seven, eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And so if you crush it from January to August, let's say, and then you kind of fall off the, the hill a little bit in the last few months. Your manager is remembering the last few months. He's not giving, he or she's not giving you any credit for the first seven, eight months. I'd add um, that, it, I'd add that it's the last six to eight weeks plus whatever biases and personal feelings. You well, have. so that, that's my second point. <laughs> okay, my sorry. Second point I'm, is, I'm sorry to yeah, <laughs> my second point is the annual review is riddled with unintentional, almost all the time, unintentional bias of our kids play on the same soccer team, or I like skiing and you like skiing, or I'm a Mets fan and you're a Mets fan, or you like baseball, I like baseball, you like uh, going to museums, I like going to museums. I mean, all these things that have nothing to do 
with an employee's um, performance um, or professional development, but we're human beings. And so we take those things into consideration and what Ripple tries to do and, and, is, and is pretty um, uh, successful at doing is removing those because it's anonymous. It's an anonymous feedback tool that allows peer-to-peer um, -peer, uh, genuine feedback. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm thinking on the day I'm thinking it. And then I'm giving you the, the information so you can see your dashboard and see how you're doing throughout the year instead of the, you know, you did great or you didn't do so great and you leave the annual review conference room kind of like lost in, in this world of, well, do I still have a job? I'm, am, I, am I the best thing that ever happened at this place? Am I the worst thing that ever happened at this place or am I somewhere in the middle? And, and that destroys culture because I remember, and my boss taught me, or my second boss out of law school taught me, don't tell them not to talk to each other about, you know, compensation. Well, you know, you tell a 25 year old junior associate, don't tell anybody about this. They're all going out to drink for drinks. or they're going to lunch the next day. They're sharing it. And, and it's just so destructive to culture in terms of the concept of this is so important to your professional development, but I'm only doing it once a year. And, and so the unintentional bias and the fact that the brain is built to really remember things accurately for six to eight weeks negates the, the I mean, the, there have been companies, I believe Bear Stearns, General, uh, not Bear Stearns, God, Bear Stearns has been gone. Um, Goldman Sachs, GE, Accenture, they did away with their annual review because no one could justify it. The, the thousands of man hours spent on this exercise. And it was basically like, cause we've always done it this way. Well, mm -hmm. if you've always done something a certain way and you can't justify why you've always done it that way, chances are you're ready to pivot away from that, um, that solution. And I use the term solution very, very loosely. <laughs> okay. So walk me, walk me through the process, at least high level. What, how does this work in, pr in practical application compared to an annual review? So we, we are, um, well, compared to an annual review, it's completely opposite of what the annual review is. <laughs> it's timely. It's, you know, exchanging information that, that's actionable, um, you know, and, and it's generationally, um, it's, it's generationally relevant. Uh, you know, the, the, the current domestic workforce is, is comprised of four generational um, employees, the boomers, the millennials, the Gen Xers, my generation, and the Gen Zers. Not in that order. It's boomers, Gen X, millennial, Gen Z. So the Gen Z and the millennial um, workforce comprises over 60% of the domestic workforce. If you tell a millennial or a Gen Zer that they did something wrong at their annual review in, on, on November 17th, they did something wrong in March, you'll be lucky if that, if that employee comes back to work for you. They'll, they'll look at you cross-eyed and think, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving me that information back in March? Because maybe I didn't do it wrong in March. Maybe I did it differently than you would have done it. And I can explain to you in March why I did it that way. When you're asking me in November why I did it, I, I can't remember. Back to that stat of the six to eight weeks of, of genuine um, recollection. So why, why, are we, why are we even having this exercise? So what Ripple does is we um, send out short surveys every month um, based on five core personality traits, the big, uh, the big five in, uh, in IELTS psychology. And we send them out to your team. So you have a team of six, seven, eight people. Everybody gets surveys. They're all randomized. They're not the same questions. And everybody gets surveys for everyone else on their team. And they give and receive feedback constantly, which 
promotes discussions between managers because managers get to see everyone's information. I don't get to see your information if you're on my team. I get to see mine. The manager can see the whole team and then leaders, owners can see everybody's. And what Ripple's focuses is on building stronger individual self-aware employees, which build stronger teams. And those stronger teams create stronger departments, stronger departments create stronger um, organizations. And at the core of everything is engagement. Um, the feedback drives engagement. And, and feedback is engagement. Feedback is the, the, the tool that we use to show people. And, and, and feedback, by the way, it doesn't have to be our, our fancy IO uh, psychology, big five personality traits. It can be, did you like the venue of the holiday party this year? You know, did you appreciate our dress code? You know, what don't you like about our dress code? You know, do you want, you know, again, another very timely um, topic is what do you think about hybrid work? Do you want to come back three days a week, two days a week, five days a week and, and get that feedback from your employees? So Ripple gathers that feedback. We crunch it. We analyze it. We put it in a dashboard and then we show trends. So you can monitor your scores over the course of a year. So when you have that compensation discussion, because we're not, we're not championing the concept of having constant um, compensation discussions. We understand that, those, that there are things that you want to discuss annually. But when you sit down with Jeff and you want to talk about the, the last year in terms of his performance, his impact on the company, you have objective data to go through that. And Jeff knows, and the, and the beauty of it, Jeff has access to his dashboard. So Jeff knows going into the discussion with me where he is. I mean, I used to give annual reviews to, to people that would sit down and they, they would think they're rock stars. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm trying to tell them that if they don't get their act together, they might be out of a job. But their perception of themselves is that they are a key um, role in the organization. So all expectations are um, leveled when you go into a discussion um, after you're using Ripple because you have information that you can base those discussions on. Uh, we can sense. customize it. So if you have different metrics you want to gather, we can work with an organization to create questions that, that gather information around um, other categories. But yeah, we're all about exchanging, um, communicating, <laughs> working with uh, the people on your team to make sure that everyone knows how they're doing, how they're interacting. Our, our scoring model is called the Ripple Effect Score. And the way we built that is, you know, everybody has an impact on everyone they touch during the course of a day, a week, a month, a quarter, et cetera. And that impact, that effect um, ripples through your office. It ripples through, you know, and, and again, not to, um, I, I, I'm reading your book, you know, the first, the first 15 pages, I, I'm just, I'm skimming through because I'm reading, I know it, I, you know, your, the whole, the whole concept of, making people's employee experience better because that follows them throughout their existence is what we're about. If you're happier at work, if we can show you your strengths, if managers can acknowledge what you do great, you know, I, I, have, I have an expression I use, if I have a good Friday, I have a great weekend. And that's because if you have, if you have a positive day going into those two days where you're supposed to unplug and i know we're both entrepreneurs so we rarely do but when you're supposed to just kind of get into that you know relaxed stage if i have a bad friday my weekend's probably not going to be that great and so if you have a good experience in the office you go home you meet your loved ones your family your friends your significant others it, it it's not i mean it's i hate the cliche but it's not rocket science if you're happier in in life 
you're going to be a better employee. You're going to be more productive. You know, all the stats, all the ROIs are there. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not just kumbaya, you know, dancing around the fire and wanting everyone to like each other. It's real. I mean, there's percentages. It's 23% increase in um, profitability, 18% increase in productivity, 81% decrease in absenteeism. If you have engaged, self-aware, happy employees, that's what I pitch to the CFOs. That's what I pitch to the CEOs. You know, it's not, it, it is, we're, we're, we're promoting a culture of, you know, honest, transparent, you know, genuine exchange, but we're also showing that there's a dollar, there's, there's something to be said about the financial component, you know, retention. I mean, if you can keep, if you can keep your people for 25, 30% longer, you know, the days of, of our parents, you know, retiring after, you know, get their, they're getting their first job at 24 and, and being there for 35 years, those days are largely over. But if you can keep a millennial, if you can keep a Gen Zer for another year, year and a half past the three, three and a half year average, that's huge. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build happier people. And, you know, really at the, at the heart of what every leader should um, aspire to, I believe is, is making their employees want their coworkers, co-employees to succeed. Uh, I wrote a chapter in a book on, um, on how to create your future in a corporate setting. And my chapter is all about data analytics and culture. You can define culture a thousand ways, but I, I see culture as if everyone working in a company wants everyone else to succeed, you know, you know, Jeff has that project that he's trying to finish up and you know, he's stressed out and I'm done with my stuff. I leave at five o'clock. See you, Jeff. That probably is indicative of culture. That's not that great. Mm-hmm. Now, if Jeff had helped me three weeks ago and I left at five o'clock, I'm a jerk. If Jeff didn't help me three weeks ago and I leave at five o'clock again, that's indicative of a culture. That's not that great. But if I say, Hey man, what can I do? What, what, what can I do to help you out? Even if I can't help you out, even if you're, you're, you're in a position in that project where you can't delegate anything. The fact that I say, Jeff, give me something to do. What can I do? And you say, no, thanks. No, I, I can't. I, I, I just can't right now, but I appreciate it. Chances are the culture in that organization is pretty strong. Absolutely. And I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when it comes to culture, that you have, uh, it, it's, it's centered around people, obviously. And we talk about culture quite a bit, but when you go, when you kind of come from the top down, let's say from a CEO perspective and from the, the upper leadership who are looking at really satisfying shareholders and, and bottom line conversations, um, they look at culture as another like box to check or look at another um, you know, tool, if you will, to, to be, stay competitive. And a lot of the solutions look at you know, processes and tools and I bring this up because obviously Ripple is a is a tool, and it, it's a it's a somewhat of a process as well, right? And it's these things are created by people, or at least implemented by people. And there's this element of truly, um, you know, addressing the behaviors and the mindsets of people in, within an organization that I think um, gets missed sometimes. And I think one of the things that the example I'll give is the annual review. I agree with every single thing you just said. It's it's an abomination. But I will say that there can exist, per se, an organization that still implements annual reviews, but the leaders, but the leaders themselves value the the trust and the vulnerability in their in their teams, values the value of feedback and the power of empowerment, things like this. 
And they, you know, they themselves are giving feedback real time along the way and are having conversations that, and, and I, don't, I would argue that that organization can still succeed. Again, annual review probably makes it harder, but at the same time, there's this element of behavior and how we actually go about and treat ourselves within this culture that, that really shines above all, but is often ignored. Um, I bring that up because, not to be contrarian, but essentially, um, how do you see, I guess, yourself or Ripple, your philosophy kind of tying into and, and I guess, addressing that? Or, or so, so I think what you're asking in terms of, and, and by the way, as a, as a brief aside, you know, we believe the annual review is, is fatally flawed, but there are organizations that click, you know, stick to that, um, that concept. So supplement it. So when you have that annual review, have the objective data that Ripple collects so that when you, when you go through the annual review, it's not just shooting from the hip from the last six to eight weeks. It's something that you can have a meaningful discussion. You should be having meaningful discussions throughout the year, but at least that one big meaningful discussion can be more objectively based and not, as we mentioned earlier, unintentionally biased and, and sort of skewed to, to areas that, that aren't really that important. I think, I think one of the fundamental problems or, or, or um, situations facing most organizations is what I spoke about earlier in terms of the generational workforce. The people making the decisions are still largely in the upper um, Gen X and lower boomer um, generations. And, and while they, they, they want to believe, and, and I, believe, I truly believe that they want change, you know, your 66-year-old CEO has been raised on techniques, on leadership styles from an early age from the generation before then. And it's very difficult to pivot. And, and uh, I've, I've said this in previous interviews where you really need interaction from all segments of your um, workforce. So when you're trying to figure out the, the right talent assessment, development, um, management platform to integrate, you need input from 26-year-old employees, 34-year-old employees, 41-year-old employees. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I can tell from the first couple minutes of a prospect uh, meeting depending on the demographics of who I'm speaking with, whether they're doing it as a compliance exercise. You know, I know engagement's important, so I'm gonna take a meeting with Noah and hear how important engagement is. Or I'm truly concerned about culture and I want to develop a sustainable um, culture that is centered on the people that we hire and we, and we try to keep. You know, part of, again, part of the issue with culture engagement is why do you want it? You know, as a leader, are you doing it because you read Jeff's book and you can see how important it is, but you're really not buying in. You're buying in because it worked on, on other organizations. So you're hoping it works for you. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get beanbag chairs, stand-up desks. I'm gonna get a ping pong table and we're gonna have a keg in the kitchen on Thursday afternoons. That'll drive culture, right? No, those are all, those are all byproducts of culture. When Jeff and Noah want to play ping pong at the end of the day, that's because they're spitballing about something or, or they actually like each other. It's not, they're not going to go play ping pong if they don't like each other because mm -hmm. ping pong is just a distraction. Um, and that's the, the Google model. I think, you know, I think the Google model, everyone looks at is, oh, it's more comfortable. You know, um, the unlimited paid time off um, policies that some companies have. Well, that's great as long as people are doing their work because they want other people to succeed. And again, going back to my definition of culture, you know, the, 
the concept, which drove me nuts prior to COVID and certainly was reinforced during COVID, is that certain generations were going to just slack off if they were working from home or working remotely. They're going to wake up, hang out in their pajamas, watch movies, do a couple hours of work, and then they'd be done. Productivity increased 70%, non-manufacturing industries, but 70% during COVID. People worked more, I'm sorry, productivity increased 2%. People, 70% of people worked more during COVID than, than before COVID. So the paranoia of the older generation or the leaders of organizations that their people were just going to slack off, guess what? You know, the, the quiet quitting, we've always had quiet quitters. They're called, they were called clock punchers. They were called people that, that basically did the bare minimum to gather a check. That's nothing new. That's, I mean, maybe there's more of it happening, but I think you've always seen the people that are um, not doing work-related um, uh, endeavors at the office. And if you, have, if you have them back nine to five, Monday through Friday, they're going to still do whatever they were doing that wasn't productive at home, but you're going to have them in the office. So I think the, the companies that have the annual review and they want to drive culture and they, they, they want that one main event to kind of hammer home um, the employer-employee relationship, I think it can be done. I just think the way it's traditionally done is, is flawed because it's based on, on a lot of times misinformation and whatever the gut is over the last few weeks. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I see the annual review as just a, 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 a huge barrier in the way of trust because when, when we're busy, we tend to focus on what's directly ahead of us and, we don't have to focus on a review or feedback for that matter, because we have this crutch of an annual review to land on, to lean on. And um, even potentially good relationships can be tainted by um, leaders that rely on this annual review in the wrong ways. And it erodes trust in, in teams to be able to trust that, you know, you'll get feedback when you do something wrong or that you can make mistakes that won't come back to bite you eight months later. Um, and things like that. So I really see um, the value in in timely feedback and being able to actually trust that you're kind of being developed and grown uh, beyond just you know the bottom line. And also acting on the feedback. I mean, one of the key components to what we <laughs> preach to our our new clients, new users, is don't just collect the feedback because if you just collect it and don't do anything with it, as managers, you know, empower your managers to use that feedback to have discussions, you know, to one, acknowledge success, because we're, we're big on the positivity. We want not just the fact that you might have lower scores in certain areas, but where do you score higher and acknowledge those successes? And then two, having the ability to then turn to your, to your people and say, we trust you to use this information in a way that helps the company and helps your individual employees. And trust is, is huge because if you gather that information, if you gather that data and you don't do anything with it, then your employees are going to say, well, why, why did we go through this exercise if it's still, again, you go back to, you can have a compliance exercise that's done monthly too. We send out our surveys on a monthly basis. So if you're just doing it and give everyone, we're a one to five scale, one never, five always. So if you just give everyone threes, it doesn't do anything for anybody either. Um, we, we also always... Um, tell our it's top down, you know, tell our new clients, you know, I had a, I had a, a prospect or client actually, they signed up with us a few years ago and, and they had 50 people or, or somewhere along that line. And, and when the, um, when the leader said, we want to implement ripple, 
he said that he wanted 49 accounts. I said, well, no, you need 50. And he said, no, why? Why do I need 50? I was like, well, who's, you have 50 employees. And he goes, well, I'm not doing it. And so, Taylor's so guess, yeah. And so, so six months later, guess what? They weren't using Ripple because the, the information, the data was, you know, he didn't like it. And I knew he wouldn't like it because if the culture <laughs> of that organization is he's going to implement this, you know, dynamic new solution to drive engagement and he's not participating, that's, you know, the leader usually reflects the mood of the, of the organization and that, that, uh, that played out that way in, in, in that example. So that story hits too close to home for me. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like culture is too often something that people exclude themselves from, especially yeah. up in, in high leadership. But I, I think there's a universal kind of truth to that, that I've seen where when we say culture, we'll say, Oh, Google's culture or my company's culture it's, it's the company's culture. I get to come and, and consume it. And then I go home and do it. And, and people are like, I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because because the culture is nothing more than what you put into it in a workplace as well. It's the collective of everyone's treatment of each other. And so when I think that mindset is so dangerous in terms of being able to move forward because, because people are excluding themselves and no more is it more apparent than the, than the top most layer where they're like, we have a DEI problem. So give everyone else training, <laughs> give everyone else, you know, and I'm like, uh, where's the mirror? Um, where's the well, it's also, I mean, it's like any, it's like any, um, when you implement any solution, are you implementing it because you actually realize there's an issue with DEI and that this, this issue has come to light and that you want to get your arms around it and, and, um, solve, or at least attempt to solve, at least attempt to implement a solution to this issue. Or are you reading on LinkedIn? There's a lot of DEI stuff going around. Are you looking at social media and there's a lot of DEI stuff going around? Well, I'm a leader, so I better implement something. So, you know, whatever it is, let's just do it yeah. and bring in whatever consultant. I saw something on LinkedIn that had something about DEI. Let's get the handbook. Let's get the extra two pages in the handbook. Everything's good. Instead yeah. of actually saying, you know what, there's an issue and, and we want to actively resolve it. And that, and that goes to a lot of different, you know, realities. I mean, again, not to beat a dead horse, but the whole hybrid workplace issue. And it's been an issue for the last, you know, 18 months. People don't want to go back. A lot of people don't want to go back. And to my point, if you're, I think it was 65% expect some form of hybrid work model. So if you're Jamie Dimon at Chase, and I use Jamie Dimon's name all the time. So I'm sure at some point I'm going to have some nasty email sent to me, but <laughs> If Jamie Dimon is saying, well, this is how it's always been. We need butts in the seats. We need, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday. And he's not listening to 65% of his people who say, no, this isn't what we want. Then, you know, what's the culture at, at uh, Chase Manhattan Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase? It's probably not that great. Yeah. And, and people, you know, when I was growing up professionally, you didn't just quit. You gave your employer months, if not years, of opportunity to cure the problems um, that formed the foundation for why you wanted to quit, right? Now it's, if I don't like where I'm working, I, I'm gone. There's almost, there's no cure period. There's no, you know, mandatory six month, you know, I'm not really happy right now. I'll give them six months to right the ship. Nope. The, I mean, people quit quickly. And not the good people, by the way. Whenever I talk about, you know, retention, when I talk about the great resignation, attrition, all these, you know, all these words that, that cause um, 
HR people to, to, to have fits, you're never, if you lost bad people, if you are, if you had 20% attrition, you always lost the 20% of your worst employees. No one will be talking about attrition. You lose the good people. You have opportunities. You have only so many opportunities to keep your good people happy. And if you lose those opportunities, if you miss on those opportunities and you lose those good people, the worst thing about a hundred employee company, if you lose those 20% that are rock stars, you're left with people that you have to hope come to realize their importance. And many, many times that does not happen. So, you know, when, when you're talking about losing people, you're really talking about losing good people more times than not. Well said, Noah. And, uh, oh, we're, we are out of time. <laughs> I did not even realize it's such a it great quickly. conversation. Yes. But, um, Thank you. Thank you for everything you've shared today. I'm, I'm really excited to personally explore more about Ripple Analytics. And I think you're on to something really, really important. And I think it's it's going to make a really big impact. So I appreciate you coming and, and sharing the story and the, and the concepts behind that today. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share, Jeff. Thank you. Absolutely. And Apologies to Jamie Diamond, who's been mentioned twice now. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. <laughs> he's just, his name just keeps coming up. I don't know why on this show. Um, but thank you to the listeners, as always. Please continue to support us. We really appreciate all the feedback. Um, and please check out the book, Love is a Business Strategy, when you get a chance. If you haven't, um, Amazon, all the other places you can find it. And um, with that, we will see you all next week. Thank you so much. Thank you.